Welcome to Bridge the City, a podcast recorded in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our mission is to bridge together people, resources, and ideas that inspire Milwaukee to action. And I'm your host, Benjamin Rangel. And on today's episode, we have a conversation with Chris Corkery, who is the CEO of 100 Acre Farm. 100 Acre is an indoor, vertical hydroponic farm located right here in the city of Milwaukee. And if you're like me, and somewhat familiar with some of those terms, but not 100% sure what vertical hydroponic farming is all about, stay tuned. Chris is at the forefront of sustainable agriculture and community-focused farming, transforming how we think about food and farming in our city. Join us as we dive into his journey, the innovative practices at 100 Acre Farm, and how they're making an impact in Milwaukee and beyond. But before that, two things. First, did you know that Ashley Benson, you know, Bridge the City's Director of Strategic Partnerships, sometimes a producer here, Ashley and I have something in common beyond just being amazing producers on the podcast. Yep, it's true. We're both alumni of Marquette University's Trinity Fellowship. Marquette University's Trinity Fellowship graduate program is a unique opportunity that combines academic excellence with community service. At the heart of Milwaukee, Marquette University's Trinity Fellowship offers exceptional graduate students a path to develop their skills, knowledge, and leadership abilities. Fellows engage in rigorous academic programs while contributing to local nonprofit organizations, driving real change in the community. As a fellow, you'll receive a full tuition scholarship, a generous monthly stipend, and the chance to be a part of a vibrant community of scholars committed to social justice and service. Whether you're aspiring to be a leader in education, public service, or nonprofit management, the Trinity Fellowship equips you with the tools to make a difference since a variety of majors are compatible with the program. So if you're passionate about social and economic justice, please apply. The deadline for the 2024-2026 cohort is January 15th, 2024. Apply now and be the change you wish to see in the world. Visit marquette.edu slash trinity fellows to learn more about the program. Alternatively, feel free to just reach out to us here at Bridge the City. Ashley and I would be happy to talk to you about our experience. Now second, support Bridge the City. Local, grassroots, community journalism for as little as $4.14 at patreon.com slash bridge the city. Okay, I not just two things, there's actually a third thing. Bridge the City is a finalist for the Shepherd Express's Best of Milwaukee series. That's right. You can vote for Bridge the City podcast as the best podcast in Milwaukee right now on Shepherd Express's website. Check it out. Support us. You're listening to us, so you must like us. So again, you voted for us the first round. We made it past the first round. We are now one of the finalists. Please vote for Bridge the City. Okay, back to the programming. Here's Chris in our interview about 100 Acre Farm. Sure, yeah. My name is Chris Corkery. I'm the CEO of 100 Acre. Uh, we are a vertical hydroponic farm located in the Century City building in Milwaukee. Um, specifically, it's a controlled environment, meaning that within the space, uh, it's recreating Mother Nature 365 days a year uh, through some advanced technologies and kind of cutting ourselves off from the outside world, but every day in there, it feels like a perfect summer day. Um, and uh, yeah, the passion here and, and mission and goal and 
all all things above and below her to reinvent the food system. Yeah, and Chris, I know you're not originally from Milwaukee. I'd love to learn a little bit more. I love the city, as listeners know. Bridges City is all about promoting the good stuff happening here in Milwaukee. And so I love learning about how folks get here and decide to, you know, contribute and build stuff here, which is what you're doing. So can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, that's that's a good question, considering where I'm from. I'm uh, born and raised in New York for about half that time. So about 20 years was New York City uh, between Manhattan and Brooklyn. So as a, uh, as a, as a New York City dweller, um, a lot of folks say, how did you end up in Milwaukee, right? This, they're, they're considered polar opposites for, for many reasons. Um, and I think the, because of what we're trying to accomplish here with respect to food systems and job creation and the redevelopment of real estate, uh, adaptive reuse in particular, um, it, it makes more sense to be doing this in, in a city like Milwaukee than a place like, like New York. It's not just about the price, but it's also about the culture. There's a rich agricultural heritage and an industrial heritage here, um, prior to a lot of those jobs being uh, outsourced to other countries. But we're hoping that what, what we're doing, what we're introducing as 100 acre and you know other, other indoor farm operations that might come to the um, city, there, it's sort of a renaissance of, of combining agriculture and light manufacturing in a, in a really healthy and exciting way where there's sustainable jobs and hands-on education. And obviously, um, the, the end product is, is really beautiful, amazing, fresh greens, which we can now supply year-round to the surrounding area food businesses and, and now end customers because we're on, on store shelves. So from my perspective... Uh, relocating here from from the big the big city, right? That's what everyone says. The big city, um, it, it made it makes a lot of sense. And um, you know, at first I wasn't really sure where where I was. Uh, you know, this is considered a flyover city by certain people. Um, you don't you don't typically touch down in in Milwaukee when you're going somewhere. So I didn't know where I was. But now that now that I do, um, this is home. Uh, we're, we're, I'm committed. Uh, this is. You know where my partners and I have all sort of hunkered down, and and this is our our headquarters, and we hope to kind of expand this whole mission and the business model uh, from from here out. Yeah, and that's really exciting. As like I said, uh, uh, someone who's passionate about this community, uh, when we steal some businesses from New York City, hey, bring them here. Can't complain, right? Um, so I need to get a little bit more into the details about what hydroponic farming, you know, this is indoor. It's on the north side of Milwaukee. Like you said, Wisconsin as a state has a rich tradition, agricultural tradition. Today, most people don't think of Milwaukee and think of farms, at least the city of Milwaukee. So talk exact like if somebody were to walk into the factory, which I think we're going to be able to in just a, a bit, uh, but like, what are they going to see? What exactly are you doing? What does hydroponic mean? Uh, yeah, talk more about what they would see if they walked into the factory. Yeah, that's, um, I think it starts with, with breaking it down into three key areas of, of function. Uh, so we are Milwaukee's largest indoor vertical hydroponic farm, right? Um, and uh, a lot of questions arise around that. So if you break it down into those those keywords, 
first being indoor. Well, there's lots of things that are indoors when it comes to growing food. That could be a hoop house, a, a greenhouse. We, in, in our specific application, it's a, a closed-loop environment that's very similar to uh, laboratory-type conditions. So we built out our own custom space within a warehouse. So it's a box inside of a box. And there are various uh, mechanical controls that help regulate that environment and create perfect growing conditions. And that's very hard to do. Um, I mean, it's even hard outdoors nowadays, apparently, right? We, we saw what the summer brought with the drought and, and the heat waves and, and, and the winters are also uh, a little sketchy. Um, so within this environment, you need to artificially create perfect growing conditions uh, using existing systems that were always intended for humans. And uh, that's, that's a head-scratcher for, for, for a lot of the engineers of the world. And people are rapidly trying to figure it out, and um, it's getting there. And um, I think we're at the forefront of figuring that out. But, um, you know, really it's a question of, of air, you know, temperature, um, humidity, CO2, things like that, and it all being balanced so that the plants can thrive and, and breathe so the second component of our of our growth system um, is what what they call vertical, uh, and in in our application these are racking systems that are stacked horizontally. Uh, in our case, five high. Um, so if you think of a traditional farm, soil based farm growing in a you know on, on in the ground, soil based. Uh, that's a square foot. We actually are five times that, so we grow in cubic heat, cubic feet. And then, lastly, hydroponics. So hydroponics is basically growing uh, in water, so there is no soil involved. Uh, in particular, we are uh, growing in a, a a medium that suspends the seeds, so that our nutrient-rich water can flow over uh, those seeds, so that they're really receiving uh, everything they need uh, and nothing that they don't want. Um, and once again, it's, it's, it's very efficient. And the misconception with hydroponics, because it's uh, water-based farming, is oh, you must you know, be a, a real water hog. And um, no, we're not. It's a closed-loop system of which, you know, you think about soil-based farming. Well, where, where is it going? It's, it's going through the earth, and, and there's runoff, um, which typically is fine when, you know, you're receiving ample amounts of, of rain and, and, and hydration, but um, again, the, those are some of the issues we're facing today in the environment. Uh, and uh, our 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 farming system, our hydroponic system, is on a closed loop basis. So we use about ninety five percent less water than traditional soil. You're right that that is. A, I mean, that's a kind of an assumption that I had too. I didn't know much about it, but like, yeah, if you're growing, actually, I don't think I even knew that there was zero soil involved. Another thing I imagine you save water on is the fact that the sun uh, forces a lot of the water that you would use in traditional farm farming to evaporate, uh, and I'm imagining you don't have as much evaporation as you would in outdoors farming. Yeah, yeah. that's a great point. Yeah, the um, so uh, you know we we lose our water like any other uh, uh, growing aspect through the perspiration of the plants. Right, they they take it in and they perspire. That's a healthy function. But yeah, the the other the other reason we're not losing as much as traditional soil based is that there's no topsoil evaporation mm -hmm. um, because everything is completely enclosed. Um, and uh, yeah, so the, the, 
if, if water is an issue, eh, well, then this truly is the future of farming. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's, it's an issue here. It's an issue everywhere. But, like, I have not been able to go maybe two weeks without seeing some story about uh, water out west in the Colorado River and droughts in California and aquifers being dried up and then refilled and then overfilled. And so certainly um, this controlled environment provides plenty of solutions to address water crises related to agriculture. One other thing I wanted to ask, uh, you'd mentioned first, like I said earlier, I didn't realize that it was, there was no soil involved whatsoever. I think I imagined, I don't know what I imagined really. So I'm excited to check out the factory, but um, I'm imagining there's only certain plants then you can grow. Is that, is that fair? And I guess more specifically, what are y'all growing now? What do you hope to grow in the future? What can people maybe see like in grocery stores or at restaurants or hotels and such? Yeah, that's uh, that's a fair statement. Um, it's kind of twofold. So the general hydroponic controlled environment farming sector is limited to, you know, it can grow less, less overall products. Um, we're not going to be growing apples because you, you don't have trees coming out of these things, right? Um, or pumpkins or anything else. It's like a heavy load. Uh, and then specific to our setup, uh, because we're vertically stacked, um, there's also a limited, uh, additional limitation on what we can grow uh, within herbs and where it, it really does uh, work better for those plants to be growing in, in, a, in a single plane. Um, so what we've we've zoned in on uh, with when, when we opened 18 months ago uh, with our first harvest, uh, of which was actually a partnership we kicked off with Feeding America, believe it or not. So we, we didn't start by selling to hotels and high-end restaurants. We started with the, uh, with the state's largest food bank. Um, um, we, we, we kicked off with a specific salad blend and a, and a higher-end uh, uh, large-leaf basil. Uh, the basil was kind of obvious. It grows really well in these types of systems. If you look at any state where there is a farm like us, uh, usually a startup type atmosphere, they're growing basil. It's just a very, uh, the product is perfect coming out of hydroponics. You can actually eat the stem, which is not common because uh, it doesn't become fibrous like when it does, when it grows outside. So you're just getting these incredible yields and um, and also it's a premium product so it you know it helps you pay your bills but what shocked us because i thought we were gonna you know sweep the sweep milwaukee with our basil we didn't um we actually um have found that our 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 lettuce blend has become a, a staple and it's the um it's what what we're known for and it, it's what does really well in our system um and it's helped us establish a really strong relationship with the chefs with the uh, food and beverage directors of hotels, the grocery store, you know, the producer managers and, um, and, uh, and, and even something like the brewers where you would never think that they're going to be buying salad blend in bulk for a baseball stadium. We think of mm, pretzel, yeah. cheese and beer and uh, they love it because it, it's going into the clubhouses, it's going to the players and, and why? Cause it's, you're typically not used to getting such a great lettuce product because it, it could be wilty or or it ends up becoming extra bitter because it once again it was uh, degrading in its distribution time. Yeah, and we have this crunchy, sweet, vibrant, um, you know, juicy packed 
yeah. salad and it's, it's nutrient rich and, um, you could taste it and it holds up, it holds up for you know nice. three weeks in your refrigerator. And are there <laughs> samples available on the tour or is that something I'm going to have to go buy myself? <laughs> we, have, we definitely have some samples ready <laughs> okay. for you. Great. I Plus feel like another I, secret project that we're uh, ooh, launching in three weeks. Okay. So, um, I, yeah, I feel like the timing of this interview matters because I'm a little hungry. I realize I didn't eat a large lunch. And so <laughs> talking about this basil, I'm just imagining like amazing pesto that can come from it and just. Intent. Uh, yeah. Good stuff. Um so for folks who don't know, I think you mentioned this earlier, but I don't think it's a co- coincidence that 100 Acre Farm is located in Century City. For those who don't know, Century City is a business park on the city's north side, south of Capitol Drive and west of Hopkins Street. Um, and Century City as like a as a project has had some like challenges. Uh, there was talk even in 2020 of a bailout because there wasn't getting enough businesses uh, enough tenants, and I know Good City Brewing was there, is still there, um, which is great. Um, but you all are there, which is super exciting. I'm sure for folks at the city level who have invested time and energy and taxpayer money into this project to really bring um, bring good jobs and sustainable jobs to the Milwaukee's North Side. So talk a bit about the decision to select Century City as the location for 100 Acre Farm. And, uh, yeah, what what was that like, and, and how has it been uh, having a business here on the north side of Milwaukee? Yeah, so, um, I mean, full disclosure, like we talked about earlier uh, in, in the show, one of the questions, I mean, I'm a transplant, so I'm not going to pretend to um, be be a local, uh, even to Wisconsin, let alone, let alone that, that neighborhood. And um, that area has, has a pretty profound um, history in terms of what it was and, and, and what, what, what's occurred. And, and I think what, what they hope will become, um, Century City, it's, I mean, it's a rebranded, uh, part of town. Um, and, uh, so, so that's actually what the area has become known as. And, but, but then the building itself is called Century City. And the hope is that they can reconstitute, uh, jobs back into the area through new, new business development um, which is which is all fine and well, but you also have to make sure that there's a plan in place for local equity. So it can't just be big business coming in from out of town um, to, to set up shop and, and, and hire whoever, however. There has to be a, a consideration around what the, uh, the folks who make up that neighborhood uh, represent and, and what they want, uh, because they're the ones that live there. They're the ones that pay taxes. They're the ones that are invested in their their, their kids and, and the, the other small businesses, and they give back to that community. Um, so when we came across different cities, across uh, different neighborhoods in Milwaukee, on um, I think one of our big areas of focus was you know where where would it, where are food deserts located? Um, you know, those are federally designated. And uh, we're opening an indoor farm, so it kind of makes sense, right? Um, and then our, our initiative as, as a, a production facility is not to give away our food. Don't, don't misunderstand that. Yes, we charge a premium. Our focus is to charge a premium that provides sustainable careers and hands-on education in the future of food production, which is the greatest way to lift people up. Um, it's, it's through education and income that you can actually make a change and, and with local equity. So on making sure that there's a commitment to hiring and, 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 and keeping an open door policy uh, with, with local. And after a lot of the different neighborhoods that we checked out with 
various buildings that existed. Uh, I just think that this area um, really was a, a good match for our, our passion and our mission. Uh, me being an out-of-towner and not knowing too much, there was also a little bit of a, just a roll-the-dice thing. I mean, this building is a, a beautiful building uh, for, for what we intended to do. But I think that it's, it's um, we're harmonious with what needs to happen in communities like this in terms of just uh, bringing back local equity um, to through new business development. And in our case, our application, we happen to do food. There's other ways of doing that. But um, it, to me, it's a, it's a really unique uh, solution where one hand feeds the other. And we're really just a kind of a servant to the process. Yeah, and I, I don't want to understate the importance of your decision, whether it was kind of coming from an outsider's perspective and not knowing a ton, but uh, from a Milwaukeean's perspective, Century City really needed 100 acre. They needed a, a tenant to sort of uplift that project because I know before you all arrived, there was even talk of um, uh, kind of on the other end of it was food related. Uh, there was talk of a meat processing, like a slaughterhouse facility going into that space. And there was this big tension on the North side because some folks were saying, this is, these are good jobs. Uh, the community needs jobs. And on the other side, there was some folks uh, like thinking about the environmental concerns of the, of the slaughterhouse itself and like the way, um, like the quality of the work. And here we are fast forward a few years later, we still have some food-related business that went in there, but it is very different than a slaughterhouse, right? Um, hydroponic vertical indoor farming is very different than what I think other folks imagine for that other uh, business. Not to take away or say anything about that, it's just it's an interesting uh, difference, <laughs> but it's still related to food. Absolutely. Yeah. And we'd like to think that we're kind of a, uh, a like a symbiotic uh, best of both worlds type experience with with uh, this new age farming. It's still farming. You're still dealing with plants. Um, you have to pay a lot of attention to the plant health, the root structure, the quality of the water, everything that goes into the farm aspect with your teammates, um, showing up on time, clean, food safety, communication. Um, it's really bringing a lot of things together in, in a good way where uh, at the same time, it's not backbreaking labor in the soil in the in the dead of winter in some cases but also in the summer it's it's comfortable so um i think it it offers a lot of opportunity for uh folks that are considering getting involved in farming um it's weird it it doesn't necessarily feel like you're a farmer you're not wearing a straw hat with a bunch of chickens running around but you're still handling plants from seed to sale Mm. and that's what it's about yeah and so uh speaking of like uh the resiliency and like the um just all of the details that go into this method of farming. This question comes from Ashley, who's a producer on the podcast and she wasn't able to be on the interview, but she has a lot of experience in working in um, food technologies in general. And she asked about the supply chain resiliency, which honestly someone not in the the food logistics and food technology um, field, I, I would love to hear more. She asks, how does supply chain resiliency of hydroponic farming play into the um, play into the the benefits related to the climate crisis and the food scarcity challenges um, a community might face? We have a pretty simple 
uh, vision when it comes to the problem we're fixing. Um, our food system has gotten too big. Um, and, and the reason for that is, is it's not because of our population. It's because things have continued to benefit profit centers as it relates to food production and distribution. And I understand you know, why overall. Um, Got to make money. <laughs> um, but at a certain point, uh, that type of structure starts to crack when you're dealing with consumables. Mm. Perishable. Yeah, yeah. In particular. Um, meats, you know, uh, lettuce, <laughs> um, fruits. We're not talking about canned goods or, 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 or cookies. By the way, I love both of those. But <laughs> the point is, is um, when you're talking about perishable consumables in a food system that has gotten too big due to favoring profit centers, you're dealing with a serious amount of risk. And it was already happening uh, pre-COVID. Um, and I, I don't like referencing the, the pandemic for any uh, business cause. Um, it should predate that and outweigh it. But um, the cracks were there, and I guess the, the pandemic kind of um, exaggerated those cracks. Mm, yeah. And just uh, it wasn't... Especially it's, in terms of supply chain and distribution and all that. Yeah. yeah. So yeah. what I'm getting to is around resilience. And the, re the, the fact of the matter is we just weren't resilient. On the production level, um, we lost our labor that can actually go out into the fields mm. and produce, right? Because yeah. we went into lockdown. And it is a, it's a labor... I wouldn't say it's a labor of love. It is for us. But, you know, food is and has always been about uh, people, feeding people. It takes people to feed people. It's pretty simple. It's not technology. It's people, at least for now, for a while. And uh, it's great that we might invent something like a tractor or a computer chip that controls a light, but it's still people. People are feeding people. And um, that's actually what was halted first and foremost. Mm, yeah. And then what ensued after that is really... A, the, the elongated, uh, stressed-out supply chains. So how are you getting it from production to processing to distribution to endpoint, whether it's retail or end-user? And it was just stressed and broken and, frankly, ailing for many, many years prior. So when you, when you, you look at that and you see what happened, um, in a very short period of time in the history of us producing and eating food, we're talking like a fraction of what it means to have been on this planet producing and eating food for one another. I mean, that's a, that's a pretty big concern. So when we got into this, this business and we thought, well, how can we go into these um, distressed uh, buildings that are within uh, a, a densely populated area and, and we reduce the overall uh, length of the supply, supply chain um, yes, at an added cost, because it costs more to do this mm -hmm. in smaller scale yeah. um, populated areas. That's why farms exist where they exist. But So we're trying to re rethink about how, how we can um, reinvent that supply chain and provide supply chain resilience. And really the way that you do that is you, give a, a, you create a platform, whether it's one 100 acre or two 100 acres or 
X number of other competitors that are out there that are going to be doing some great things too. You give your customers, your wholesale business to business customers, and also your, um, your, your end users, household users like you and I, you give them an option to reinvest back into their own neighborhood. And, and how do you do that? Well, it has to be in their neighborhood. It's pretty straightforward. So for me and, and, and the 100 acre team, supply chain resilience just comes down to it being a reinvestment opportunity uh, around through accountability. Mm. You know where, how it got to you, where it came from, and where yep. it's going. And that actually, my, my next question was about consumers increasingly being interested in the traceabil- traceability of their products. Um, right. And so it sounds like you all are leveraging technology and uh, your location and such to gain trust and reliability with partners and consumers. And I guess this brings me to my an earlier question, like how has the city reacted? You sort of alluded to some of your partners, but can you expand a bit more on like, do you feel like you've been embraced by the Milwaukee community? You mentioned um, the initial, what was it, Feeding America that you yeah. partnered with. Yeah. I know that we talked offline about some partnerships with schools. Talk more about um, how consumers are reacting, uh, partners in other ways the community might get involved. Yeah, absolutely. Um, well, I mean, first and foremost, the, the, the Milwaukee community as a whole has embraced us uh, wholeheartedly, and I'm talking every uh, every every side of the coin. Right, there's more than two sides to any coin, and um, it's been incredible. Uh, in the beginning, obviously, there's some skepticism, and that has nothing to do with here. But it's just you know you're a new business and from out of town, uh, so it's like, well, what's this all about? Is it going to work out? Um, but you know, we're in the business of growing greens. So all we had to do is make sure we grew them and give them to people and see if they like it. Um, and, uh, and, and making sure we knew who we were serving. Um, so from a, from a local community perspective, it was around making sure that there, we would stay in business and, and, and sustain those jobs and, and have an open door policy around uh, education with the schools, which I'll touch on in a second. Uh, but that's not possible. Sustaining jobs is not possible unless you have a strong business creating a product or service to to your customers. And that that was the other part of it that we had to kind of roll out immediately was making sure that we understood our customer segments and and what their needs were. And it wasn't just around a, a sustainable price for them. It was around a top quality product they could rely on 365 days a year. Back to supply chain resilience, we harvest every week, and that's it, 52 weeks a year. So the product you're receiving is always fresh. That is naturally supply chain resilience. Um, So the customers knowing that that's what they were getting, that's part of the value proposition on the quality mixed with the price is, is huge. But the third thing I think that clicked with the community supporting us is that they saw that there was a reinvestment, uh, that we were kind of communicating and celebrating the, the, the shared success of this little microcosm where, um, people knew, know the farmers, the students meet the farmers, the farmers meet the chefs, and it's all happening within 15 minutes or less driving time anywhere in this town. And that's, that's what really has taken root for us. Um, and now, as a result, um, you know, what we, we're dealing with the food banks, with the stadiums, with the hotels, with the restaurants, with the grocery stores. 
Um, but a big thing that we're trying to figure out is how to work with the schools because that's a, that's a complicated environment. And um, what we've done is we've rolled out a, a program, an educational program, uh, back in the winter, and we've tested it with a, with a school um, and that program is called Edible Learning. And, and the goal is to have students not only learn about what we're doing uh, in the world of ag- urban ag down the block from them, but then to take that product back that they grew and provide a value add, understand the, the financial opportunities and the culinary disciplines around, you know, what does it mean to have a career in food? It's not just growing, you know, not, you don't have to work at 100 acre. I mean, for God's sakes, there's so much stuff out there that you can do. And it's not, a, it's not clear. It's not clear to a lot of folks, you know. So that's, that's what we're really excited about uh, for the rest of this year going into next. As schools are now opened, we don't close. We're aligned to the school system, and that's our service. Yeah, and that actually, you were mentioning what your hope for what you are hoping for next and sort of our second to last question here is, you know, you've been in Milwaukee since 2021, not that long. You said 18 months. Um, We'd hope that you're still here for years to come. What do you see in the future of, of hundred acre? Yeah. So I think that's, um, that's the big, the big, big next step for us is going into the the new year. Um, We're actively looking for new properties, um, we are, we're now going into uh, an agreement on one to open our next farm because, um, well, first and foremost, we've been sold out for five months, and that's a good, yeah, that's a, a good problem, as they call it. It's still a problem because what does that mean? Well, we got to build another farm. And, um, yeah, so we are, we're, we've been reviewing lots of different properties where we can uh, expand and scale up our operation um, and then in doing so, we're not doing this alone. We can't do this alone. Um, you know, we, we bootstrapped that first one and kind of came out of nowhere. And I still realize a, a lot of folks don't, uh, they haven't heard of 100 Acre. Um, so so we, need, we need support in getting the word out. And, um, you know, and, and in terms of just building out this world-class facility uh, that's going to take our production capacity, our job training, our educational uh, input and and frankly even just the redevelopment prospect with real estate um, we're looking for partners that can get involved in that on the real estate front on the on the development on the on the investment and uh, we're pretty excited to kind of put that out there and, and see who's going to come to the table now that we did what we could in the first 18 months yeah that's super exciting and that is essentially one of the main action steps you have for listeners right every episode of bridge the city ends with tangible action steps how to get involved make a difference one obvious one is that if you want to partner with 100 acre farm reach out right which i'm sure they can find all that information on the website so on and so forth um thinking about just the everyday person in milwaukee they listen to this you want to give them some some advice on how to you know making a difference uh, whether it's related to 100 Acre or just like the way they approach food, the way that they um, approach agriculture. I don't know. Any other action steps for our listeners, something that they can do to make a difference in their own life or the lives of others? Yeah. Don't ever think that the problem is too big um, for for the individual to solve. Um, I know it feels daunting. Uh, the issue that we experience in the food systems of of present day is a lack of personal agency. 
And, um, you know, our efforts with, with this first farm and this second farm to come and so on and so forth is to, to allow more and more folks to engage in, in whatever capacity and have more of a voice in how our food system is structured. And I don't just mean the quality of the food. I mean the jobs behind it, where it's located, uh, accountability, as we mentioned before. Um, we really do try to strive for this open door policy. Um, we are, we're, we're, we're a people business. Uh, it's not, it's not a tech play <laughs> like uh, s- certain things you see out of like Silicon Valley with closed door and, oh, you know, I can't get involved in that. We, we try to engage folks as best we can. And, um, you know, and, and at the very least, come check us out on the store shelves of, of the grocery stores here in town. And you'll see our salad and you'll see our basil. And uh, in a couple of weeks, we're actually launching a pretty exciting new product with a, with a, with a, a very dear friend chef that's going to be a, a pesto line uh, going back to um, fight food insecurity through wow. local hunger relief organizations. So more to follow on that one, Pesto with Purpose. Pesto with Purpose. And just to be clear, I didn't know about that when I gave Pesto a shout-out earlier. I didn't know about this upcoming thing, so that's really exciting. Um, well, Chris, thank you so much for your time and for being on Bridge the City. I'm really excited to check out the facility. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for listening to Bridge the City, and thanks to Chris for taking the time to speak with us and showing us around your amazing facility in Century City, right at the heart of Milwaukee. Please share Bridge the City with your friends. Like, right now, go ahead. You can just text as long as you're not driving while you're listening to this. One person, just share with one person, and that makes a difference for us. Let them know that there are local volunteer journalists doing good work, amplifying important voices at Bridge the City. All right? We'd appreciate it. But if you can't do that, that's okay. You can still just reach out and let us know how you have helped bridge this city. Bridge the city. Whoa.